Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we got Ryan Weimer with OfferNow Idaho, and he flew from San Diego, California, to talk about how he's closed 61 deals in the last 12 months for over a million dollars in fees. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how to become one of the 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. Just take consistent action and you will become one then. If you want to get there faster, send me a DM on Instagram. We'll see if we can help you. If you get value out of the show, please tag it from below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so don't forget to ask your questions for Ryan to answer. You ready? Yes. All right. First question is what got you into real estate? So really, I think... Uh... It was a culmination of events, but most notably, I, I just wasn't meant for the corporate world. Uh, and it just took me a long time to discover that. So, um, how did you discover it? So I'm an engineer. I went to college for engineering. And my first job was in oil and gas. Things were awesome. You know, oil was $100 a barrel. In San Diego? No, in Denver. Okay. In Denver. And... Uh, the market was slipping and it went all the way down to like $30 a barrel in a matter of months. And uh, I got let go ultimately, but the way that they did it was super shady. So they gave me like uh, these instruction manuals on compressor engines and my job was to translate that into, oh, thank you, thanks. My job was to translate that into like notable work instructions. So take a manual that's 400 pages and consolidate it into like a three page document. Yeah. So not something that an engineer should be doing, right? They right. were just pigeonholing me on purpose. Mm -hmm. They gave them to me like 10 days before Christmas and said, hey, we need all these done by Christmas. I didn't get all of them done because I hated it. Right. And so they let me go. Without... In 10 days before Christmas, consolidate 400 pages into three. Yeah. Yes. All right. And then they let me go with no severance, no bonus for the prior year didn't get paid out on vacation. This was like two years out of school, right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I just spent all this time in college. I worked really hard and I'm let go already. So it was a real kick in the, in the you know what. Right, so, when was this? Uh, this was 2016. Okay, so not too long ago. Yeah. And you get treated like this in Denver. Yes. Um, you kind of mentioned like you, you just spent all those years in, in school studying to get here. Yeah. So. What did you do? Well, it was a it was a big shock. I the when I got into the corporate world, it was uh, it was difficult to relate. So, what I noticed early on is, hey, I'm training the guy across from me how to use Excel to model compressor engines. He's been with a company thirty years. I'm training him, and he's making triple what I'm making. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, right. Like my engineering mind, it didn't compute. I didn't know that there was another avenue or a sales direction or anywhere where you actually get compensated equal to the value that you bring. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Surprise so. at that point, you were meant for the corporate world. Like in your mind, totally get a job, get a good grades, get a good job, and then just enjoy it for the next 20, 30 years and yep. then retire at some point. Yeah. I had like zero exposure to real estate, zero exposure to entre entrepreneurship. The W2 path and engineering was for me. All right. So... Christmas 2016. Yep. You laid off. Yep. What happened after that? So then I, I, it took me a couple months to kind of pick myself up. And then I cold turkey moved to San Diego just because I needed a life reset. I didn't even have a job yet. Got it. And what'd you do in San Diego? So I stayed with my aunt and uncle for a couple months and just started applying to like 30 jobs a day. Finally got a sweet job with a, a semiconductor company still as an engineer. So that was still in 2016 in the summer. Okay, but your mind's been reset. Right. So, I mean, did you kind of like half-hearted or did you go work harder and then start looking at other options? What, how did you approach that? You know, I didn't because I thought everything that happened to me was industry-related. I thought it was market-related. And plus this gig was traveling 70% of the time all over the world, which as a young single guy, it was awesome. Pretty so, dope. Yeah. I was going to Asia, Europe, spent a lot of time uh, in Hillsboro working with Intel. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of benefits of the job. But after two years of that, that kind of 
faded away, right? Yeah. And then it was, okay, I'm flying. I would literally get calls, hey, we need you to fly to South Korea for a month tomorrow. Can you go? <laughs> yeah. And kind of thing, so. So then when did you start doing real estate? So real estate uh, came as a result of me just trying to find a way to supplement income. Mm -hmm. My One of my college buddies, my best friends, he was uh, born and raised in the Boise area. Got it. And we were just trying to, we had just recently discovered bigger pockets and uh, it all became a math equation to me. It was like, okay, if I get $100 cash flow from one single family property, then I can get 40 and quit my job, right? Or whatever mm -hmm. the number was. So right. it was simple for me to understand. And then what was your first action, right? Because there's, there's being aware of it and then there's actually taking action to start the real estate. So what was your first real estate transaction or how'd you find your first deal? So my first deal, I uh, contacted a realtor out of Boise. His name's Corby Goat. He's an awesome dude. Uh, he really helped educate me on just the market basics and that first rental property with his help, we just bought off the MLS. Got it. In so, what market? In Boise. In Boise. Yeah. So you started in Boise and it's just everything's at this point is Boise. Yep. Okay. So you get your first deal, cash flowing. Yes. Easy. Yep. So this is, it wasn't challenging. You just got your first one and then what, you just kept repeating it or? Yeah. And then, then about six months went by and we bought another cause we were, we were going in 50, 50. So, you know, it was a real easy, not fearful way of getting involved, right? Mm -hmm. You're splitting the costs, you're splitting the risk, you're splitting everything else, right? right? So six months went by, I bought, we bought another one off the MLS 50-50, but then I started to get more sophisticated. I mean, the market was hot, things were really competitive, it was multiple offers, and so I, I started trying to figure out how to find different ways of, of getting off-market deals. And what did you find? I started with Craigslist, so I got a deal off Craigslist, and I started calling Zillow for rents. Oh, hang on. So the deal on Craigslist, talk about that deal. Yeah. Um, it was a wholesaler, actually. I didn't know it, but uh, it was like a half gutted house, like a $30,000 rehab. It, it was not scary enough to deter me. Mm -hmm. um, and I called them right away. You know, in, in hot markets, people have this perception that there's not deals, but if you can be fast, if you know the market well enough, you can be fast, you can be the first offer within 24 hour offers, you're coming in right there. Hey, what if we could do this? What mm -hmm. would be the next step? It really puts pressure on people. And so that, I mean, if you have speed, right. you can use it to your advantage. So that's, that's how we got So you that. buy your first deal, needed 30K in rehab. Yep. So what'd you do, once you closed on it, like what did you do with it? Just rented it. Okay, so you did the 30K in rehab then? Yep. All right, yep. so you bought it, regular financing? Regular financing, conventional finance, which is what the W-2 job was awesome for, right? So mm -hmm. I'm still traveling around the world at this point, but, and I use a 0% credit card to fund a lot of that rehab, like an 18-month <laughs> introduction period, right? Yeah. It's a long time. I mean, right. for that amount of money and the money that I was making as a W-2 employee, it was super beneficial to keep the job and just keep doing this. But I, it, it slowly started becoming an addiction because I could see like, okay, I, I see a path here. I see something proven. So I was flying to Taiwan on like 13 hour flights, writing 250 yellow letters. The people next to me must have thought I was insane. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, this guy's got massive OCD or something. Exactly, yeah. Right. Okay, so yeah. so Craigslist, and then you say you start calling Fizbo's on Zillow. Yep. Um, all this time though, you're still acquiring rentals. Yes. Okay. Yep. So you hadn't started flipping yet, wholesaling yet, or nothing? Nope. So when did that happen? So that happened uh, fall of 2018, and then I started doing more aggressive, like yellow letters. I heard Tom Kroll's episode on Bigger Pockets, mm -hmm. and <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it, because he has so much energy. It sounds like he just had four espressos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe if he was just compensating for being just overly dramatic or what the deal was. But I, I had to find out the mm -hmm. truth, right? Cause I had a lot of mental objections like, okay, this can't be possible. You can't really do this. You can't make meaningful money doing this. Right. But I had to find out on my own. And so that's when I started really cold calling and I got my first wholesale deal uh, then in January of 2020. So not terribly long ago. 
No. So let's talk about that deal. How did you find that deal? Like, you know, what lists? Yeah. What was the approach? So it was cold calling a code violations list. Okay. Really skinny infill parcel of vacant land. No home, no nothing. Your first deal was land? It was. <laughs> All right. That's brave. All right. <laughs> I know. But so that's that's the funny thing, right? So I saw it and I, I contacted the owner and she was kind of motivated. I was still new on the phone. Um, I didn't really know the que right questions to ask. I was still learning, right? Uh, but that's what I knew. Most people would probably stop here. This thing was so skinny, it can't fit a regular home. Mm -hmm. It'd have to have like a tiny home or some modular home angle just right to meet the setback requirements. So I said, all right, I bet most other people that have called this have probably stopped here. Let me call up the neighbors and see if any of them want it. Mm -hmm. So I skip traced all the neighbors and sure enough, one of them was like, yeah, I've been, I've been trying to buy it from, from her, but she's never wanted to sell before. So I said, okay, well, I'm in the process of buying it. Well, I mean, what do you think you'd pay for it? And my first deal ended up being 10,900 bucks just because right. of that negotiation. That's what he paid you for or that's what you made on it? That's what I made on it. Got it. Yeah. So you went and found a neighbor, figure out what he'd be willing to pay for it and then backed your way into it. Yep. Which is a smart way to do it for a lot of newer guys that are trying to you know, contract the property first and then sell it. You already got your buyer. Yeah. You already knew what you're gonna make on it yeah. and you back your way into it. So was this an like, exact next door neighbor? No, it was someone across the street actually. <laughs> what were they doing with it? So I think they were just putting um, like a double stack tiny home <laughs> arrangement. I don't know, it was crazy. Yeah. That's why I thought there's no, I'm sure everyone else that called that before thought, oh, this, there's, you can't do anything here. Yeah. If the neighbor to the left or right doesn't want it, it's useless. That's how, that's what I would have thought. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then what were some of your early struggles? I mean, you're, you're still working your job at this point. Yep. And then how much were you, were you making at this job in 2020? So I was making in the, in the W2 job, mm -hmm. I was making about 170 a year. Okay. So almost 15,000 a month. Yes. And you were thinking, man, I'm making 170 grand a year. I can, I can replace my income. Yes. With real estate. Yeah. So that's tough. Not a lot of people making over six figures have that mindset. What what compelled you to want to replace one hundred and seventy thousand a year? So a few months before, I had been up for promotion, and I was flying around the world. I was sacrificing holidays, weekends, all that stuff. I was a yes man. I was doing everything I needed to do. I was totally all in. I had even found out what job the job rec was, and I started doing some of that job because I wanted to prove them like, hey, I'm already doing the job. I'm yeah. the right person for the job. I was doing that, and then I didn't get hired for the promotion because mm -hmm. I wasn't the desired nationality that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So our company uh, is headquartered was headquartered in Europe, and they my manager literally told me we picked someone else of that nationality because we think that they'll get along with them better. So for me, it's like, oh, hell no, <laughs> hell no. Yeah. So not a good reason, right? right. Not what you want to hear. Um, and it was a second time from a company that I had kind of been jerked around. Right, okay, so a little bit of a, or a lot of the underappreciation yeah. being looked over, being passed over for something that you couldn't do anything about. And from then you're like, all right, F it. I'm going all in on real estate. Yeah. So how many deals did you do until you get to a point where you're like, okay, I am ready to quit this job? Well, I just quit a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> so not very long because COVID hit. Yeah. So all the business travel and all my obligations went away. I could do both. I could do my job in about three or four hours of the workday, honestly. Mm-hmm. So the other hours that I had, I was at home and that was my sign, I need to double down. So I was calling only about 10 or 15 hours a week up to that point, but mm -hmm. then when that happened, it was game on. So you're working three, four hours a day from home? Yep. And then the rest of the time devoted to real estate? Yes. All right, cool. So not even quit until last month. So what were some of your early struggles then in, in real estate? I mean, it could not have been smooth from when you, did your first deal off of uh, the neighbor no. lot until you got to this point? No. So uh, first and foremost, making sure the, the home life 
is okay. So my wife, Julia, is such a rock star. She is the most supportive spouse, just an incredible support system. And I really think it's a reflection of what gave me the confidence to, to take that leap because I had golden handcuffs. Because even though I didn't like the job, I was still making way more than most people make. Right. So it was a humbling moment, but I realized it wasn't all about the money for me. I needed, I knew that there was more. I wanted to do something that I could control my own destiny. And that was something that I don't, I don't think I ever would have done without the support of my wife, which, and, and still through all the ups and downs, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know how it works when you're getting started, those valleys, you don't have enough leads yet, right? So you don't, don't feel confident pulling away because mm -hmm. you feel like you're going to throw away the deal, even though that's not true. Right. You can't afford to lose this deal. Exactly. So that, that happens. And then, you know, one month you'll have two or three and then the next month I wouldn't have any. And I would second guess my whole process and am I doing what I need to do? So just the regular struggles that a lot of mindset mm -hmm. stuff. So what did you do then to overcome some of those mindset challenges? Uh, I just, I really think just cramming your brain with as much positivity as, is as possible is so, so your podcasts, honestly, Brent Daniels, YouTube channel, uh, wholesale Inc. I mean, yeah. being virtual is lonely. Being virtual is hard. It's, you're not surrounded by anyone else doing yeah. it. So you feel like you're on an Island. You can't feed off of other people's energy and you it's, it can be defeating. The highs are really high and the lows are really low because you're just by yourself. And that's why I think having such a, a strong family life at home is so important to, to get you through that kind of stuff. What was the lowest point for you uh, in this, in this getting from, you know, starting it from the first deal to now, what was the lowest point? Um, I think just a lack of, of, of confidence that I could go uh, start something myself and and be on a path where I'm in control of my own destiny because my mind was so tuned at an early age to be in the W-2 job because mm -hmm. that's safety and security. So yeah. it was really, really difficult for me to completely undo that. It took multiple years th of this. Yeah. Did you have, uh, I can't speak for you, right? But I know for myself, and I wasn't making 170. I was making half of that, exactly half <laughs> when, I, uh, when I went to go quit. And everyone like basically looked at me like I had another hole in my head, right? Like, are you crazy? Like, that's such a good job. And you're not even working that many hours. Like at that time I was working 25 hours a week. They're like, what is the matter with you? Why would you ever give this up? So when you were seeking counsel from friends and family about like, look, I need to go do this. How were those conversations? Um, they could have been better, right? But I can't blame them for that because it's all they know. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, they knew that I was being smart about it. So that's why I was double dipping for so long. That's why I just quit a month ago because it got to the point where we were going back to the office mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden all my time was going to be sucked up again. Right. So uh, they knew that I was being smart about it. And then once they knew that, I mean, they were, they were all in supporting me. So my parents and the close people around me, they were, they've been awesome. They've been a blessing for sure. That's cool. Yeah. So one thing we're talking about here is in the last year, you've done 61 deals. Yep. And for a million in fees. Yep. All, all the while doing this virtually. Yes. How did you do that? So, uh, three things. So last year I did, um, about a little over 400 revenue and about a little less than 300 net, like 297 net. Mm -hmm. But this year we're on pace to triple that or quadruple that. I think it's three things. I think it's, uh, number one, the market's insane. Mm -hmm. That helps. That helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we switched our model from doing less wholesales to more wholetails and more flips, mm -hmm. um, more rentals, uh, more funding partners, that kind of thing. So we're really sucking the juice out of every single deal. Right. Um, another third of it is, is just finding the right people, finding the right virtual assistants, spending time on the people part, spending time on the virtual assistance part. Uh, you know, my whole, our whole business is texting and cold calling right now. We do very little direct mail. So there is a lot of handholding, a lot of training, a lot of things that people don't want to do, mm -hmm. right? That's right. our time. And 
I think the other third of it too is is investing in yourself, mentorship, coaching. Um, your sales program has not to, um, you know, pump you up or or whatever, but in all seriousness, your sales program has made a huge difference for us. Oh, appreciate that because we're before when we found ourselves in multiple offer situations, it was okay if they won't do a creative deal, if they won't do a cash deal, how do we how do we get involved here? Mm-hmm. And so we added, uh, we did the sub two membership, um, which now we're doing sub two deals, we're doing creative deals, we're doing cash deals, we're doing rentals, um, we're doing developments. But I think your sales training in particular, scorching the earth has just made a huge difference. Now we get to the point where sellers will tell us what their other offers are <laughs> because we've gotten to that point. Yeah because now we're removing ourselves as a potential buyer and we're saying, well, I'm not sure if we're the right buyer for you, but let me now become an advisor for Mm -hmm. you. Let me tell you what you should look out for, write these things down, what you should and shouldn't take. Here's what you need to watch for. Do you know what wholesaling is, right? (laughs) Those kind of, and I'm telling you, it's so funny because the people that we pitch to for terms or cash or whatever, that don't want to do a deal with us or they don't show their pain, right? Mm-hmm. But then we do that and all of a sudden the wall comes down. Right. And then we get to the truth. And then if even the offer or or the conversation we were having with them before, then they're now they're vulnerable. Now we now they actually want to do business with us. Yeah, the dynamic totally changes. Totally. Yeah. All right. So the first thing was taking more deals down. And yeah. so when you were wholesaling, how what was your average fee? Uh, in 2020, it was 16. Okay. Yep. And then your average fee now, or average profit now that you're taking properties down, yep, it's is 46. So from 16 to 46. Yeah. So incredible. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you can make th- three times as much with the same amount of marketing. Yes. And then you mentioned the people component. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a massive operation. What does the people component look like today? So we have five virtual assistants. One of them is a lead manager. So the lead manager is a virtual assistant herself and she manages the other four VAs. So two of them are doing texting, two of them are doing cold calling and she's managing all that. Oh, she's managing all that. She's managing all that now. Yes, yes, that was a huge step. Right. Still a work in progress, but she's really, so she keeps all their timesheets. She keeps when they're clocking in and out. Um, She does all their coaching calls. So all the stuff that I used to do. That's incredible. Yeah. So one question I get from a lot of people is how to find a VA. So how did you find your VA that is capable of managing four other VAs? Um, I took my struggles, right? Mm-hmm. I took my licks. So the thing about virtual assistants, because uh, we can dive deep on this topic, but I started with you know one of the big contingents where they provide you a virtual assistant and they're supposed to be qualified and know what real estate Trained is. Trained and so on. Right. The promises. Right. But they're not. Okay. They have a baseline level of English. Maybe they've done a little bit of calling before, but they're not. They're totally raw, right? Mm-hmm. So what I learned is I have to I have to spend just as much time on one of those and pay double. Mm-hmm. When, or I can just source them myself and right. spend the same amount of time. And yep. then I learned, so then after a couple, and what would happen is they would leave too. Mm-hmm. So they would leave and I would have no control and they would come back at, back to me and say, hey, I'm sorry I left because I didn't get paid on time by them. Which or, has nothing to do with you. Right. So it was totally out of my control. And I was like, well, I just spent eight months of my time training this person. Yeah. Right. And so. And I think just, just a highlight there, right? Like. You made a million dollars in the last 12 months. Yeah. It's not about the dollars, right, that you're paying this person, but it's also you have to devote time to it. Exactly. And that's a cost. Exactly. Right? So if you're going to have to put that cost, which is more than their hourly rate, what's the point in trying to go with the big one when you can just train one yourself? Totally. Yeah. You got to have the control then, right? Right. So. And so then now you're sourcing the VAs. So how are you sourcing the VAs? So... Uh, the best way to do that is to go on product Facebook groups. So how we found ours, uh, how I found the best one was on Lead Sherpa's Facebook group. So mm-hmm. that's that's a good tip for everyone out there. Join the Mojos, join the Batch, join the Lead Sherpas, join the Launch Control, join the Call Tools, all these Facebook groups. 
there are virtual assistants that hang out there hmm. that look for people that post, hey, I need a virtual assistant who has these kind of skills. So you're, you're swimming in a pool yep. <laughs> or a pond that you get experienced people yep. <laughs> in there. Yep. That's brilliant. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Upwork too. So yeah. uh, I've used a couple one-offs on Upwork, but they're all connected. So they know once you get one, mm-hmm. they know two or three others. Right. And then you can hire two or three at a time knowing, okay, probably one or two of them isn't going to work out, but now I can train in mass or have my VA now train them in mass. Yeah. And that way it's not train one person, train one person, train one person. It's train three or four at a time knowing that you'll probably be left with one or two. Now you got this one VA, the lead, the lead uh, VA that's managing for other VAs. Yep. Who's managing her? Me. So you're still managing her? I do. Uh, so what, what is your role, right? Because obviously, you know, there's you, uh, there's Brandon. There's, yep. What is your role in the organization? So right now I'm acting as COO and owner. Mm-hmm. And so that's the next piece of where our org needs to evolve to. It's a COO. It's two or three more acquisitions, guys. It's doubling our VA team. Um, we have 11 right now, so five virtual assistants, two acquisitions, a uh, transaction coordinator, a realtor, and myself. Got it. So, Cool. Yeah. Um, and then something I saw here earlier was that one thing that's important to you is that everyone that works with you achieves financial freedom. Yes. Are you seeing that play a part in your building the team with the right people? A hundred percent. And that's why we've been... Our growth right now, and this is this is our biggest challenge right now. Mm-hmm. Our growth right now is hindered by finding the right people. Right, it's not really a marketing issue. It's not finding leads, finding deals. It's not closing deals. We can do all of that. Great. It's finding the right people to grow this the right way. And I think the problem that a lot of people get into when they're hiring is they think, well, if we hire a bad egg. We can just wash our hands of that and be done with it and mm-hmm. turn the page and move on to the next person and mm-hmm. all will be good. Well, yeah. that didn't work out, but no, 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 no. It's a net negative to the rest of the team, big time. Because yeah. now they're spending hours training them. That's infecting your culture. It's bringing everyone down. So it's been a challenge for me to have to sit back and say, I don't think that person is the right fit. They check every box, but there's something about what they said or doesn't quite mesh exactly yeah so hiring is one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of people in this industry yeah how did you get good at hiring especially i mean no offense right former engineer (laughs) not necessarily people oriented no so how did you get good at hiring so brandon found me on social media Mm -hmm. so that's that's one avenue um but to be honest, when I found my other virtual assistant, she had all the people skills. Got it. And so I wouldn't, I think virtual assistants are capable of a lot more than people think. You can really train. So one thing we do, we have a call every single morning, and this is where people go wrong with VAs. They, they give them a task and then they say, just give me this by the end of the day and let me know if there's any problems, right? right? They're not an actual team member. Right. They're a real person. They want to be involved. They're working a lot of times during the night hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Philippines or wherever. And so it's lonely. They, they want, they're looking for something to latch onto. So we have a call every single day. We have a different theme for our call every single day. So Monday we do affirmations with the team. Tuesday we do a call calibration uh, where we listen to a live call and all review it together. We just pick a random one and someone gets put on the spot. It's great. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable, but it's it's really good. We learn a lot of stuff. Uh, Wednesday, we do gratitude. Thursday, we do uh, seller objections. So we do a lot of role playing with all the VAs, with all my acquisitions. Everyone's in there. We're all doing it together. Wow. Yeah. So the VAs are soaking stuff up like a sponge and they're they're slowly elevating their level. And then Friday, we do a deal review. So Friday, we look at a lead that one of the VAs produced that handed off to acquisitions and that got closed. And we walk through the entire life cycle of the deal. And then the VAs can see, 
hey, these thousand calls I'm making a day, they actually tie into something. They actually do something. They actually provided value to this person. They helped this person. Mm -hmm. I helped this person. Because when you're calling six to eight hours a day, it is terrible, right? And so you need the moral, you need the inclusion. You Mm -hmm. need to, holy cow, look what I did. I contributed something awesome. Not only did I make the company money, I made myself money. I also was able to help someone. Right. And how many other industries or jobs could you do that? Not very many, I don't think. Yeah. And what I love about this is that they're immersed. Like a lot of people treat their VAs like mercenaries, right? Yes. Like they're you're, you're a mercenary for hire. You've got a job. Do your job, and that's it, right? Don't bother me. Just go do your job. Yep. But you're you're creating uh, patriots. Yep. People that are loyal to you, loyal to the cause. And one thing that we've learned is that if people can see the results of their success, right? Like how I contributed to this, they're more bought in and you're literally helping them do that yeah every single friday absolutely another thing too is um you know you've invested in your team yeah so what was really cool is i got to meet your team a couple of months ago because you flew them out to our all-day sales training event and i got to meet brandon and i think ryan yep right um there's not a lot of people that do that it's really interesting is that um i don't know maybe because sales is kind of hard to measure but there's not a lot of people that are investing their team so like you didn't come right but you sent your team and they came yeah. So I thought that was really cool and admirable yeah. that you're able to do that. Well, and that's how I I know the value. I want to keep people around. Yeah. I know a lot of people say that they're invested in, and want financial freedom for their team, but are they actually showing it? So another right. thing we do is every second or third creative deal, so this is either a seller finance, a sub to a low money down, they get to keep for themselves. No fee. No, nothing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that was something that uh, I learned from uh, Matthew Simmons. Yeah. Right, and we're incorporating that same exact thing as well. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so then for 2021, how much wholesaling are you doing? How much flipping are you doing? Or is it just everything's a flip now? So we're still fl- uh, wholesaling about 40%. Okay. So, and then we flip the other 30 and then keep the other 30. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. Um, so you're keeping three out of 10. Yeah. This kind of, it's hard to maintain that discipline, right? Because we just talked about your average profits, 46,000. Yep. How do you maintain the discipline <laughs> to keep it as a rental, knowing that it's 46,000 in the line? Uh, I think this, this it goes into a, into a discussion about money not having um, total power influence over mm-hmm. you which I think is a really phenomenal thing. But also I don't want to see, when I see that amount of money in my bank account, it makes me un- uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I don't like it. It does. It's not doing anything. It's making me feel like I don't really need to work as hard. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to see huge amounts of money in, in my account because it's, it's more motivating to not have it there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... Just as simple as that, psychologically. I, I think yeah. I, I think that's a great point because um, there's another agent in my office, right? The top producing, you know, just killing it. And for him, he's just like he wakes up every day like he's broke. Like, how do you wake up with that mindset? He's like, I, I program that in my mindset to be broke every day because that's what compels him. Totally to work hard. Totally, and I just hate paying taxes. As <laughs> really? Well. Why? I, <laughs> so, and that's the thing too. Whenever I do a wholesale or a flip, I'm losing forty percent. Mm-hmm. right away, yeah. right? Uncle Sam gets to eat. Exactly. So if yeah. I keep it as a rental and I'm cash out refining, uh, I mean, we just did a deal this year where I bought it at 265 put nothing in, and it just appraised for 504 So I got paid 60 grand. I got all my money back, got paid 60 grand mm-hmm. to own right. an asset. And there's nothing more powerful than that. It's all tax-free. Right. So I think... Um, being able to see the long game is where that comes into play. Like I don't, I'm not really into fancy cars and and a ton of stuff. I want the time freedom. And I know if I build up enough assets that I can have that time freedom and do what I want, so. So this is really fascinating because I was looking to expand in a few different markets, right? And I've had this conversation with you, right? Like Toledo, Ohio, uh, Oklahoma City, or Boise, Yeah. right? And I ended up at, Oklahoma City because you can buy there and burr there and so on. But one of the reasons why I was opposed to Boise is because there's no way you can buy properties for rentals there. 
you were telling me my calculation was wrong. Well, we buy a lot of them creative now too. Got it. Or we do Airbnbs. Ah. So not all of them are traditional rentals. Got there's, it. There's different ways to do that. And if we can't cash flow positive or get close, yeah. right? Because for me, I don't plan on, on holding a lot of these properties longer than three to five years. Got so it. really what they're meant for is, is 1031 vehicles into bigger, more cash flowing, more You're cash flow. Really properties. playing the long game here. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Raylan White wants to know, how much are you paying your VAs? So they make anywhere from five to 750 an hour. So I usually start them off uh, around five and uh, my lead manager makes near the top end of that range because uh, she's been promoted to that role. But, you know, we have uh, twice a year performance reviews with them very interactive. We go through the org chart. Here's future roles. Um, could they be trained up to a level where they're actually closing deals themselves? That's the goal. Mm -hmm. Or do they want to go into admin? Should we have them start doing some social media? So those are all we have career discussions with our VAs like there's that. upside. Yes, You're, this is not um, yep. an end of the road. This yep. is I think that's one of the other things that's smart that you're doing that is that people want to know that there's room for growth. Absolutely. And so you're having regular conversations as if they were an actual employee yep. in your office. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's then, and then we, we give them like a 200 to $300 bonus per deal closed. That was a lead that they created, which goes really far, which goes really far. So the minimum wage in the Philippines is a dollar 50 an hour. Is it? And wow. they've been hit hard with COVID. So yeah. to be able to, to give someone three or four times the minimum wage plus bonus incentive, they're super motivated. And yeah. the fact that they feel a part of the team, it creates a really cool culture. And Slack has really helped us. Uh, we were talking about that pre-show, but Slack has really helped us, you know, with the GIFs and the fun and <laughs> the interaction. Like it just makes it less boring than just a text message or an email. Yeah, so. for sure. Uh, so then uh, Peter Ramirez is asking about bonus in your VA. So um, that's pretty much it's per transaction. Yes. Um, do you do an annual like December for the full month? Because that's something that other people do with their VAs. Like? Uh, so it's common in, in Asian countries uh, to just bonus someone in December a full month salary. Like your VAs might not have told you that, but that's it's like totally to. normal, right? Um, I'm not saying that we do that, right? <laughs> I'm just saying it's not uncommon for an employer to just say, hey, for the month of December, we're going to give you like a 13th month yeah. in wages. Yeah. Um, okay. We, we don't do that currently, but I'm all for new ideas. So that's, and that's something I tell them in their performance review. Hey, uh, would you like a raise? Would you like a, a week's paid vacation? Mm -hmm. Like you pick your benefit, right? This is an open discussion. They feel so included that way. They feel like I... Because I really genuinely do care about him. I mean, one of my VAs, they were living on dirt floors. And with his second or third check, he was able to buy his mom a washing machine for the first time that they've never had before. That's awesome. And he sent us a picture of the look on her face, like hugging the washing machine on how happy she was. And it's just, I mean, it's the coolest feeling ever, right? Yeah, and totally rewarding. Yeah. Uh, Raylan White also wants to know on Facebook, do your VAs have heavy accents? Uh, they do not. Uh, but even the ones that do, I haven't noticed um, a ton of, if you train your team the right way on how to deal with assertive people, you can cut down the impact that that has. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't have an impact for them to have an accent, mm -hmm. but the fact that in our script, they're telling people, we're in Boise, my team just drove by your house last week, because Boise's not a big place, mm -hmm. right? Um, that usually takes care of that. And so all those seller objections like are you guys actually here are you in are you even in idaho do you even, have you even seen my property yeah right we can say yeah we have because our team is here right and uh, i think it was uh brandon around your team was asking about one of the objections you guys are getting i think it's kind of funny is are you guys in california <laughs> <laughs> all the time yeah it's funny they they pick california not oregon or washington it's yeah. always so it's they're really anti-california California. oh yeah that's great i mean i've been a very big proponent of building a wall between <laughs> california and arizona for a very long time but yeah i don't think it's going to happen um so kirk hortel on uh youtube wants to know uh 
if you've defined success for your life or are you still searching? Oh, wow. That's a good question. So this is where I think um, mentorship comes into play. Mm-hmm. And I've met, I've had the biggest blessing in my life, Casey Ames, who's a CG member. Um, he's in my market in Boise. And uh, he is the top dog in Boise. He yeah. sets the bar. So he does wholesaling. He does luxury flips. He does he does seemingly multifamily development. He does everything. And the guy is just the biggest go-giver that I have ever met. He's a wonderful person. I can't say enough good things about him, truly. He's exceptional. So when I was getting started in 2019 or 2020, um, this is where I think people go wrong or they don't understand is they um, they're so eager to get that first or second deal, they can't see anything past that. Mm-hmm. And where I think I was able to see that is I just wanted to be plugged into Casey's world. I was like, what do I have to do to just be able to talk to that guy, to right. ask him questions without respecting his time, right? Because mm-hmm. his time is worth who knows how much, right? right? And so the question that you have to ask yourself about mentorship is, and this is a difficult question to answer. If I were to say, Steve, um, what value do you place on a year of your life? What dollar amount? So tonight you're going to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to have a dollar value in your bank account. What would that number be? And I think it's going to be astronomical compared to what mentorship costs. And right. that's exactly what mentorship does. It saves you years mm-hmm. of learning the hard way and struggling. And I'm not saying get a mentor right away. You don't want to be asking a mentor. You don't want to be paying your marketing dollars when you're just starting out on a mentor mm-hmm. to, you know, what list should I pull? Right. How should I skip trace? How should I organize the Excel columns? You don't mm-hmm. want to be asking a mentor that. You want to be asking a mentor, I got a deal under contract and it's got seven liens and... Um, five heirs and they're all spread out and they need to close by next week. What do I do? Is this even a deal? Right. Or the high level discussions. Here are my numbers. What are your numbers looking like? What's your conversion rate? How do I make better strategic decisions? Those are what you really want to mentor for. Right. So you get to a point where you do a couple deals and now it's time to invest in yourself. And I can honestly say a year of my life is worth a lot. It's worth way more than Um, any compensation that I could give a mentor. And so where I'm going with this is mentors just help you get to places faster. And you have to always, something I'm always thinking about with Casey, uh, he probably doesn't know this, but uh, the amount of value that he's given me, I'm always thinking three or four steps ahead, like how am I going to pay that back? Yeah. How am I going to match that value? I'm going to match the value. I'm going to do it. But how do I do it? Right. I'm always thinking about how to provide more value to someone because you have to do that to be able to, to plug into their world. And right. someone at their level, it's not a dollars and cents thing. Like mentorship and collective genius and other masterminds, it's not the dollar amount. The dollar amount is just almost like a sign of commitment, mm-hmm. right? Skin in the game. Exactly. It's a sign of commitment. And then all the benefits follow after that. But I think when you're dealing with someone or a mastermind or someone way higher than you where money, it's not really a thing to them anymore because they have a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You really have to start going into, I need to find ways that I can add in value and just yeah. starting that conversation. Um, and that's, that's a very powerful point. I need to definitely make a point to see Casey when I see him next. Alice <laughs> uh, Peter wants to know, where did you get your sub two slash creative finance education or training? Uh, Pace, he's so, Pace Morby sub guys. He's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, the level of depth, um, and and the commitment of him. I I don't think I've ever seen someone go to the lengths that he does for his students. Honestly, I I can honestly say that mm-hmm. I've never met him. Mm-hmm. I want to soon, but my experience with his mentorship, we've probably twenty or thirty x whatever the the membership fee is just in a few short months yeah. from doing it. So oh, he's absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, I've told him, I've told him that multiple <laughs> times. 
Uh, he's crazy. He's gonna burn himself out. And he's like, and his response always is, "I haven't burnt myself out yet." It's like, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, so Martin Mayfield wants to know, what markets are you in? So just Boise right now, or really just Idaho. We're yeah. branching out a little bit outside of Boise right now. Uh, it's on my roadmap to add a second market. The thing is, that's always a difficult discussion and difficult question to answer because I see in Boise, we're not even close to what our ceiling could be. Again, it comes back to a hiring. Uh, we're hitting the hiring ceiling more than we are like a number of deals available yeah. in Boise issue, right? You know, and I think that's such a, a great reminder because there have been times where, you know, should we go other markets? And we did, right? I mean, we got, like, let's go to Oklahoma. Like Phoenix, right. is, Phoenix sucks. Like this is it's just too competitive. Like this place sucks, yeah. right? Let's go to another market. And I was sharing with you, now we've got almost a million dollars in escrow. We just had to go deeper in Phoenix. Right. Right. And so I think that's like a very mature <laughs> business owner answer is that should you expand, should you not? It's because you got so much more opportunity in Boise. Yeah. Well, I think that's where your refinement of tools comes in. So that's yeah. where like what I was saying before, your sales training really made a big difference for us. And then me spending, me actually devoting and our team devoting the time into our virtual assistants. No, you know, we're not hitting a ceiling. We just need to sharpen our tools. Yep. And it's made a huge difference. Totally Absolutely. agree. And I think just in the next few months, I mean, a lot of our growth was a result of just copying and pasting everyone else in the collective genius. So <laughs> nice. No, that's exactly what a mastermind is for, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're adding value and you're getting value. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, so Martin Mayfield wants to know what type of lists are you calling and texting to find these deals? Oh, gosh. Uh, we get about 45 percent of our deals from our driving for dollars list. So almost half. Uh, of the remaining 55%, it's vacant, tax delinquent. Um, there's not really any pre-foreclosures in Boise right now, but <laughs> code violations. Um, you can't know. imagine anyone in Boise going to foreclosure. That market <laughs> is so unbelievably hot. Well, and that's what, so we're actually seeing a little bit of a pullback now. Yeah. And uh, what I keep reminding our team and what I keep hearing from others that are wiser than me mm -hmm. because I don't know everything. And I think as a leader, it's our responsibility to be humble and be equally humble as we are confident. So if we, if we don't know something, we just need to say it. We need to own up. We need to have extreme ownership with things. Yep. Um, but, you know, this is the hardest market in history to find deals in. Mm -hmm. So when things do pull back eventually, when things do correct, right? I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to be 10 years from now. Who do you think is going to be most well positioned to capitalize on that? It's not going to be the people that were waiting on the sidelines the whole time. No, right? No, it's going to be. And so that's what I, I tell my team is guys just wait, wait until there's deals aplenty way deep. And then it's a money issue. Then right. it's a private funds issue. Then how are we going to fund all these deals we have? And then that's where you get all the creative deals too, right? You exactly. can get the sub twos, you can get the seller finance. So I know we're not getting as many deals as maybe we would like or what we're capable of, but just think when that moment happens, it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Tim Serpy wants to know with all the success you've had, what are your three to five year goals for your business? Oh gosh. Uh, so traction is an awesome book. They mm -hmm. actually make you do this in your VTO. Um, I think in three to five years, we want to have a $10 million uh, company net. So that's an ambitious goal. Uh, some might say that's an insane goal, but what I've noticed about goal setting and really the power of clarity, I can't emphasize enough the power of clarity because when I was a W-2 employee, I didn't have any clarity mm -hmm. at all. But then you find an avenue to where you can be successful and you can really control your own destiny. Then it's, you have that clarity and it's just the most empowering feeling because then you're living life on your terms and it's not just about business. No, it's not. Then it's like, now I'm gonna go be an awesome husband. Now I'm gonna go call that friend that I haven't talked to in a really long time. Now I'm gonna go, um, go travel to this location and, 
yeah, I'll work and I'll just make it work, right? I right. want to live life on my terms. I don't want my job to live, dictate my life. Right? Yeah. Especially yeah. those jobs that they basically just let you go <laughs> at a moment's whim. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, so Francisco Jasso on uh, YouTube wanted to know, uh, when you're scorching the earth, are you always taking down the house? As in we get the deal? As in are you purchasing the house? Uh, no. I mean, scorching the earth is just a sales method that we use to um, test people's pain, find out their true colors, right? If mm -hmm. we're scorching the earth, we're asking, you know, hey, make sure that they have a, a, a $10,000 non-refundable uh, earnest money. Make sure that they, if you're signing another contract, they waive their inspection period. Make sure you look out for these things in the contract. And then they feel like, oh my gosh, this guy's looking out for me. And then mm -hmm. guess what? They pick up the phone, they call those other wholesalers, those poor other wholesalers. <laughs> <laughs> and then they ask those questions and then they call us back and they say, guess what? You were right. Yeah. You were right. They didn't have that stuff and they couldn't do it. And so it's just a method to get the contract. And then right. what we do with the contract, you know, wholesale it, flip it or keep it, that is still the same. Yeah. it's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, so with your flipping as many houses that you're flipping, one thing that happens, uh, we've had, uh, I think Chris Craddock talked about it, uh, Javier Hanojos. I mean, these are people that recently been on the show have experienced this, where they've had too many flips going on at the same yep. time. Yep. When is too many flips? When is it too many flips? We have that problem right now. We're constrained by having one awesome general contractor and the rest is a crapshoot, right? So I actually have two or three properties sitting vacant that need to be worked on. But oh, they're just they're just in the queue doing nothing. They're doing nothing. But we bought them deep enough. This is where it comes to, to buying the deal. So like 90% of our deals are in that median price point and below. Mm -hmm. And for those that are sitting vacant, it's because I, I got we got them as a team so deep. Brandon and Ryan got them so deep because they're incredible guys, right? Yeah. They got them so deep. They're incredible negotiators that we can afford to just let them sit there until my main GC can get to them or I can find a reliable second contractor. And you know how contractors are. It's like a roll of the dice. So we're, <laughs> we're getting there, but yeah. it's a work in progress for it's sure. It's tough. Having a good GC is tough. Yep. Uh, what is your why? My why? Um, I think I touched on it earlier, but it's, it's about living life on your terms and not letting your job or your occupation or your need for money to live dictate your life. Yeah. And that isn't an easy thing to unravel. It's painful. It's scary. I think failure, failure is an interesting word. It's like an absolute term. Mm-hmm. It's like a pass fail. You either did it or you didn't, right? Instead, uh, when really failure in my life, every time I've had a, a failure, mm -hmm. it's just catapulted me into the next thing. The first time I got a second job that I was I loved and I was traveling the world, and then the next time when I felt like I had failure, it launched me into into this. And so. Yeah. Um, I think treating those as adversity or challenges, right? Those are words that you can overcome. There's hope, mm -hmm. right? You don't necessarily, it's weird. I think it holds a lot of people back, the failure word, because it sounds so it's terminal. There's no coming back, right? Yeah. yeah, totally. And it scares a lot of people from taking simple action steps right? instead of using adversity or challenge. So I, I, I really think if we just viewed um, don't use that word as much or at least use it in a different context to where it's positive because mm -hmm. because now one of our one of our uh, company core values is seek failure yeah because we know it's gonna it's gonna allow us to personally grow right we're gonna get better at what we do so. I think that's awesome um, so your why right more or less being able to do life live life on your terms I look at that with the other two challenges you had with your corporate world where your biggest source of frustration was that decisions were made for you. Right. So do you think that's something that's been with you your whole life or that this is something that happened after you graduated college? After, for sure. Yeah. I was never 
I didn't even know that you could do that. Yeah. Honestly, I had no idea that you could even do that. Yeah. So I thought I thought it was just a saving game. I thought it was as long as you can be as frugal as possible and save enough money that you can retire early. I didn't yeah. know that there was another route to do it. In. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Um, I would say the hiring. Um, I think, two, one thing uh, with the virtual assistants, it's, uh, you know, you have to hire three or four for every one or two that stick. So that's a time commitment for my lead manager now. Uh, and the constant reinforcement positivity that is needed, we elim try to eliminate the word try from anything we do. So just like Master Yoda says, there's no try. There's Did you just say we try to eliminate <laughs> the word try? Did I? I think See? that's what I heard. See, I, I even have to catch myself doing it. That's ironic. Yeah. But in the words of Master Yoda, there is no try, only do or do not. Yeah. Right? So we eliminate that word. And we want to and are committed to when we say that, what do we actually mean? I don't know. We're actually going to do it. And that's where the affirmations come into play, too. So I think... I think hiring, finding the right people for the roles, like not getting crazy in love with scaling. I think scaling is sexy. It's something that everyone wants to do. Yeah, let me go mm -hmm. live on a beach and everyone else can just do the job for me. And, yeah. Right? That's not how it is. So, um, And I think that's a very fascinating point because a lot of people, the, the biggest thing they talk about is wanting to scale, scale, yeah. scale. Um, and before you can scale, you got to master the systems and processes. And there's a whole bunch of work involved prior to scaling, but we all want to jump straight in to scaling. Absolutely. Uh, what is your superpower? So I think, I think what I've, I've noticed about myself, this has always been one of the hardest, everyone always says hire your, your weaknesses and fire your strengths, right? Did I say that right? Um, hire for your weaknesses. Hire for your weaknesses double and double down. down on your strengths. Yeah. There we go. Um, and I, I couldn't really figure out what my strength was because uh, I was doing a little bit of everything, just like everyone starting out. You're just wearing every hat, and yeah. so you think you're just you just have to do it. So, you have to do it all. So I think what I've asked others about is I have, um, I think a little bit has to do with the engineering background, but I have the ability to consolidate a lot of complex information and a large volume of it and condense it into actionable steps and create a vision and a, and a do this, do this, do this, and it'll eventually lead to that instead yeah. of, uh, and that was developed over time because in the beginning it's, oh my gosh, how do I even get there? It's so overwhelming, how, what do I do? But just condensing it down into that and just making actionable steps in my mind and, and then writing it down especially is, is big. So it sounds like you could have done that 400-page thing and simplified it to three if you really wanted to. See, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Th those skills that you learn, right? They translate. Yeah. Uh, on IG, we got Investing with Calling wants to know, what was the hardest deal you've ever dealt with? Hmm. Um, probably some of the lawsuits, the, legal, the ones that go the legal route. <laughs> uh, we had a... Male and female, um, if Brandon's listening, he'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> he probably invested 30 to 40 hours worth of phone calls, um, four or five hours worth of visits. Uh, they were dog lovers, and one of them had wrote a book about a dog. He read that book. Um, I mean, he he's went committed. all in. And, and this is who he is, right? Okay. So this is why he's successful and yeah. he kicks butt, right? Mm -hmm. And this couple, it was a package deal. So they were selling her house and his house. They were selling his house on cash and her house on terms. And her house, the cash deal was a marginal deal, but the terms deal was sweet. Mm -hmm. So they were gonna buy a place together. One was gonna sell first, and then the other one was on a longer closing. And they were gonna go buy a house together. Well, somewhere along the way, I think something went south in their relationship. Life happens. Exactly. And they just started making up stories after we were under contract. So Brandon went over there, explained to the nth degree, 
you know, because we're always, okay, well, if you want to go the terms route, you know, tell me about this. If you want to go the cash route, tell me about this. And explained everything to them. They signed the contract. And then later uh, they said, you know, Brandon, when he was over here and he was showing us the contract on his iPad, he was lying to us about, and Brandon's like, I don't even own an iPad. So they were just <laughs> making all this stuff up to get out of the contract because mm-hmm. something happened in their relationship. So um, going through that emotional roller coaster, just because of the amount of time invested into it mm-hmm. was a lot of drama. It ended up settling for like way less than what could have been, right? But I think sometimes when it goes the legal route, you, like it's just so hard to not get emotionally invested to something yeah. you put so much time and effort into. So. And it definitely sucks going a legal route. If in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to. Right. And it's almost always because I think this situation was different, but it's who knows, but it's always almost always because someone else just came in with a higher offer after you. Mm-hmm. That, that's all it is. Or promised, you know, someone else promised then they could get a higher price. Promised right? the world. Exactly. But I do love that Brandon was reading a book about dogs. <laughs> You'll I, have to ask him about that. I, I would draw the line <laughs> at reading a book about dogs. I mean, you love dogs. That's cool. But you're going to have to read a book about dogs. It's, I'm drawing a line here. We might have to put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alizette wants to know, when you were new to wholesaling, what would you say to sellers who had problems you had not learned yet how to solve? So for me and our team, it's not necessarily about solving the problem right away. It's getting a plan together for them and micro commitments to follow. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily have to have the Z answer, but if I have the A, B, and C steps to get there, then that's, that's what we go around. So I don't think that there's many problems that I've heard of that can't be solved. I did just have an interesting deal a couple of weeks ago a property that's been in foreclosure for 14 years. The bank got dissolved mm-hmm. or, and then the, the owners just never made a payment for 14 years and it never got foreclosed on. So every once in a while, there's a really weird thing that pops up that you can't control, but 99% of the time, there's always a solution. So you either use a mentor in those kind of situations or better qualify them to say, okay, what action steps have you done? Have you talked to the title company? Have you talked to a probate attorney? Have you, what are you gonna do if this happens or that happens? A lot of times it's just because they haven't taken the action themselves. So they're projecting a problem on you that they think is unsolvable because Mm -hmm. it allows them to not have to take any action. Right. Right. And so, yeah. So what what are you doing with that deal? Which one? The bank dissolved deal, 14 years in foreclosure. Well, they didn't, they're not accepting any offers. So they were supposed to have an auction date uh, last Monday, but they keep pushing the auction date back. So yeah. they, they just won't sign a contract because they never actually lose the property. Yeah. So I got a guy I can introduce you to. Okay. That. Uh, I mean, those are basically zombie. We call those zombie, uh, zombie loans. Okay. Uh, all right. So Peter Ramirez wants to know, how did you find your general contractor? Let's see, I, the first couple rental properties uh, with the realtor that helped me, Corby, he had a guy, we've used a few different contractors, but that's how I found him as he was doing some work on some of the rental properties. So what I like to do is I like to call property management companies. Uh, I like to call lawn care companies, plumbers, junk haulers, and I say, hey, who do you guys like to work with? Who's a good GC? If you call 20 or 30 of those, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you'll find four or five GCs. And then it's it's just a vetting process. Yeah. So So you're just getting referrals. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, What's the greatest lesson that you have learned? The greatest lesson? Uh, I think optimism and and positivity is incredibly powerful. Um, I think it's really easy, especially being virtual, like I was saying before, to get lonely mm-hmm. and not have deals coming in. And I think I can't understate having, if you look at the most successful people in the world, they're always optimistic. There's no problem that they can't solve. Mm-hmm. And so doing daily affirmations has been really big for me. So I'll literally write down, I'll take five to 10 minutes in silence every morning 
and I'll write down affirmations and goals for the day. And it really just helps me stay in the moment and ignore the stress and everything else going around. Yeah. Super helpful. Well, I think you're absolutely spot on as far as the most successful people are, are optimistic because they only, they feel like they're super lucky. Right. We all have the same good and bad things happen to us, but the ones that always feel they're lucky tend to have more luck. Yeah. And the tens, ones that tend to feel they're unlucky <laughs> tend to experience more bad luck. A hundred percent, yeah. Uh, is there a book you've gifted more than any other? The One Thing, definitely, by Gary Keller. So I struggled a lot with shiny object syndrome. <laughs> syndrome. I still do every day, right? Yeah. And so I think it's good to read that book like once a year to really, and I have to force myself to write stuff down because mm -hmm. I cleanse my mind that way. If I'm thinking about 10 different things at any one given time, I can't focus on anything. Right? Right. No, then nothing gets done. So yeah, The One Thing is an amazing book. I actually had a chance to watch Gary Keller when he was touring. Uh, and so he was able, he was presenting like, you know, the lessons in the book too. So I got to read it and get to watch him present on it. So it's pretty cool. Oh, right on. So I want you to think about a message you want to leave the listeners with. Sure. Hey guys, um, if you guys got value today, please like, subscribe, like, subscribe, share, comment. And it sounds selfish, but it helps us in the algorithms, right? We can reach more people. We're trying to create a hundred millionaires. So if you guys can do that, that'd be much appreciated. We do have our all day sales training coming up on September 24th or 25th. Disruptors.com slash sales training. Uh, your team got to experience it that it's helped. It's so it's badass. Sign yeah. up. Yeah. So totally worthwhile. Uh, next week, tune in. We got Blake Selby coming in. Uh, so last thoughts to leave the listeners with. Uh, so just going back to clarity, one thing that that when I was getting involved with Casey and his mentorship, I'd start asking him a bunch of questions like, what do I do on this deal? What do I do on that deal? And he always hold on, take a step back. What do you want? And I would say, well, you know, I want financial freedom and I want to do this deal. And no, 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 no. What do you want? Like in life, take some time, stop what you're doing, take some time this weekend or tonight or whatever, two hours of silence, write down what you want. Because I think we get asked that occasionally, mm -hmm. but we kind of brush it off like, well, yeah, I want this. So I'm just going to keep doing this, right? No, mm -hmm. no, no. We don't actually take the time to really understand the magnitude of that question because yeah. the outcome of that question gives you total clarity in it, gives you what do I need to focus on? And it, it gets rid of all the noise and everything else out. So that's something that has really changed our trajectory from even what I was, was doing in 2020 to what we're doing now in 2021 yeah. is that question, getting super clear on that question and then everything else becomes an afterthought, so. Is there a certain frequency that you're doing this? I like to do it quarterly. Quarterly? Yeah. Quarterly, just two hours in silence. Yep. What does Ryan want? Yep, and right. it, it, it's so powerful to reflect on that because you know, in this business, when you have successes, they're great, but are you really accomplishing what you want to do? Are you spending more time than you want to be working mm -hmm. or less time? Are you spending time on the things that really matter? I think it can be really easy to get caught up in the success and, you know, social media and yeah. being a guru and, you know, just conquering the world and domination, right? And it's, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's all about what is important to you and how do you implement that. So. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. Uh, someone, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? So the best way is to shoot me a message at Weimer Investments on Instagram. There you go. Simple enough. All right. Thank you. Right on. So much. Thanks, Steve. It's a Thank pleasure. you guys for watching. <laughs>